Today's guest on Leadership Amplified is Sarah Garcia, who is a women's leadership coach. Sarah has built companies in London and Sydney, providing guidance on consumer behaviour based on motivational psychology and behavioural economics. Her companies have influenced the customer strategy of global brands, including Nike, Volvo and Coca-Cola, as well as local Australian companies such as Woolworths, Coles and Nestle. At 14, Sarah made a promise to herself never to turn her back on any opportunity she liked the look of, and her life suggests she's kept to that promise. Never taking the well-worn path, Sarah raised an unexpected child alone, crossed the Sahara on the back of a truck, staged a management buyout at the age of 29, and performed on the London stage. Sarah has been self-employed for most of her life and has always had a fascination with the relationship between work and well-being, which is one that we're very interested in. Her graduation paper, which examined the relationship between work and mental health, was published in the British Journal of Medical Psychology. Today, she helps women open the hidden fold-out pages of their working lives to give them greater satisfaction. She works in the area of influence, confidence, relationship development, positioning and identity, team empowerment, and helping women step up or out of their organisations so that they can achieve their potential. Her current focus is on helping those women who want to get to general manager roles achieve their goals on an unlevel playing field. I'm delighted to welcome Sarah to the podcast. Okay, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we are going to have. So let's find out about you, uh, your background and your experience. Um, you had some um, amazing experiences working in and for organisations as well as running your own businesses. So tell us the Sarah Garcia story. <laughs> okay, well, I think... To be fair, there's there's always been two pulls in my life. One is a love of psychology, even as a child, as to why people did what they did. Mm. I was always tediously fascinated by that, even at primary school, because I remember my friends talking about it, probably trying to get me to shut up about it. Probably. <laughs> um, and my other one was a love of work and how it made me feel I suppose it's you know validated and stretched and all those things and I had some very good work experiences so I I I, I lied to get my first job you know I think I was 12 and you went well that's some admission <laughs> do we do we get the scoop here you lied when you were 12 to get a job yeah yeah I just I I really wanted to work. I don't know. I wonder That's why amazing. that was. I was mm. more, always more interested in work than I was in study. I like learning. I don't like studying. So, um, yeah. it, it's, you know, it's, it, and that's a it's sort of different mindset, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, uh, I like to get my first job in a, in a restaurant and I adored that. And I went to work in, you know, retail on Saturdays and I adored that. You know, I loved serving people I loved finding out what they really wanted and you know finding it for them and you know I worked in Selfridges in the toy department of all things which at Christmas was chaos uh, mm. but interesting um, I then went off decided I didn't want to go to university at all I don't come from a family of uh, of intellectuals in any way both parents left school at 14 my father in fact probably at 
actually at 12 uh, mm. in the middle of the Spanish Civil War and my mother mm. at 14. And while I think both of them were pretty bright, there was never any understanding. In fact, we never knew anyone who had been to university or any yeah. sort of further education. In fact, the fact that I'd got as far as A-levels was extraordinary for my family. Um, mm. you know, many of my aunts, sadly, in Spain, you know, they don't know how to read and write. You know, that's where right. we're we're coming from here mm. um anyway so uh i i i decided I, I just wanted to work i didn't want to do this university thing we had a pour over books so i really didn't want to have anything to do it so i went off to tenerife believe it or not oh well, I, don't <laughs> that, I don't know and i sold language systems door to door pretty poorly i have to say i didn't sell many of them i also sold texture coated roofing uh, systems which was also didn't do terribly well at but anyway and I went off and how had old were you at this stage about 18 I think really yeah yeah really? yeah and uh and I did, actually wanted to get into tourism um uh but anyway that didn't happen and I changed my mind again and actually while I was away this was the year after my A-levels it was then that I decided how much I really wanted to find out more about why people behaved as they did. Right. And I came back, I went to university and did psychology and politics. Um, yeah. And, and what was that, that like? You enjoyed oh, it? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I wasn't initially going to do the politics. When I started the politics course, I didn't even know what the definition of left and right was. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I had a bit of found out soon enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was that that went very well. And my, my psychology, I probably, to be honest, I think I probably did incredibly well in some parts of my psychology degree and incredibly poorly in others. Right. Uh, and, and I suppose this is, you know, there are some wonderfully disciplined people in the world, Caroline, imagine that you were one of them, where you learn, you know, you're moderate, and you do things in a sensible and steady disciplined way. I've tried to do that, Karen, and I yeah. have struggled all my life. And I think we have to say by now, it, it, it ain't going to happen. Um, and likewise, you could see that right back then where some things I've probably got first in and something parts of the psychology degree, I probably failed. But anyway, I got through uh, with the parts that interested me most. So yeah, that was good. Yeah. But I also up. think, I, I think it's really interesting that you say that because I do think that, I mean, the education system, favours people who are more prepared to be a bit dull and disciplined um, and it's a style of learning that suits some people I say yes it suits me and it doesn't suit you but that's such an indictment of our education and university systems isn't it because what happens to the curiosity uh, what happens to you know that thirst for learning um well, yeah, you could say maybe it doesn't need to be challenged. Maybe that's just a dull and disciplined person saying it needs to be challenged in some way. <laughs> but, you know, there needs to be that that openness and that ability for all sorts of people to be able to learn in ways that make sense to them. Yeah, that does need to be. And I think there also needs to be an appreciation amongst coaches like us that what works for naturally disciplined people doesn't actually work for uh, people who have a you know undisciplined person, people like myself. It's not. So it's like uh, 
thin people advising fat people how to go on a diet. You should never yeah. take advice from, you know, if you're a fatter person and you want to lose weight, don't take advice from a thin person. They're not mm. facing the challenges and never had and couldn't even imagine the challenges that you mm. face. So, yeah. you know, whereas for, so in coaching, you know, if I'm coaching on process, which I, I do do a bit of, I do sort of left brain, right brain stuff, anything that will get people to where they want to go. You know, mm. I, it, it's important for me to understand whether people are, you know, happily, you know, disciplined and it's about that sort of thing or whether that's going to bore them to death in two days time, the whole thing's going to fall over. So mm. how are we going to get that you know, stimulation in there to keep them going? It's a it's a different thing. And, you know, in a way, I suppose I'm fortunate because I know that that's the case. And if basically mm. if my process bores me, it's going to bore, bore them. So, yes. you know, <laughs> I say it's the good guess. You're not very disciplined. Come to me because I'm not either. Um, yes, but I've managed to find some hacks for myself and those hacks, you know, I am working at them, but I constantly work at them. You know, I constantly yeah. work at how can I develop habits because habits are so powerful and you don't have to think about things anymore if it's habitual, you know, and I, I, I believe that there is some evidence that actually it's even hard. It's even the case that it's harder for people, for example, like me to develop habits than it is for people like you to develop habits. Yeah. So mm-hmm. even those really nice, strong things you can lean on take a little longer for people mm-hmm. like me to develop, which um, yeah. which, which means we've just got to keep working at it. Yeah. So people like you aren't undisciplined. I mean, even, I mean, we, we listen to this conversation that, you know, there is such a pejorative cast using undisciplined. I don't so know what another what's word. What's the word? That you don't know. Uh I don't know, spontaneous, flexible. Um, hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, 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 there's that dimension on those five personality traits thing, you know, the openness to ideas. It and is. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing, which, I mean, not to say that, you know, neither of us are t- trying to be pejorative here, not to say you're not able to take on new ideas, but the, that if you're very open to new ideas, you might go running around after them. And it's just that shiny thing syndrome, you know, we'll magpies yeah. running around trying to find shiny things and yeah. trying to tell ourselves, yes, we'll look at that tomorrow, not today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so off to university, um, loving it, doing yes. great. What came next? What came next? Uh, I uh, actually... <laughs> at the end of my university, Margaret Thatcher was uh, in power, and, and and that's not the side of politics I really uh, support. Um, particularly as my university was in a very working class area where there were mines and everything was shutting down, and it was very different from the suburban life that I've been used to in London. But it opened my eyes hugely mm. to how powerless these people were, and I was blown away by it, to be honest, um, and became a little bit politicised. It has to be said. Um, now, uh, my uh, one of the things that Margaret Thatcher was saying was that this new thing she was doing, or the government was doing, was uh, uh, it's, all, it's like it was called the Youth Opportunity Scheme. I'm sure that there's been a thousand of these since that time, mm-hmm. where uh, at times of very large unemployment, you put young people into jobs like for free to give them supposed training, but they may or may yeah. not get it. And she was saying it makes people feel like they've got a real job or they're on an apprenticeship, which they were also cutting back on. So I decided to do a study on how people felt uh, on neuroticism and um, uh, depression amongst the employed, the unemployed apprenticeships and youth opportunity scheme. Mm -hmm. And, you know, surprise, surprise, um, 
apprenticeships came close to real employment and youth opportunities scheme was really no better for anybody mentally mm. than being yeah. unemployed. Uh, so that got published. That was very nice. Thanks to my also to my tutor who helped me uh, publish that. So that was that was lovely. Um, and a surprise. And then I went into qualitative research, which is, uh, you know, about motivational psychology and understanding how consumers work so that you can help organizations sell them more stuff, frankly. Um, yeah. It's about developing brands. It's about changing behavior. Um, it's about capturing markets. It's about advertising. Um, and I kind of went from strength to strength there. I really felt I found my home. Um mm. And it was there that I, I went to do advertising for a while, which I adored, yeah. uh, particularly the finding out what makes people tick that should be at the core of every great ad. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't like the politics. Um, of advertising and, agencies yeah. or of yeah. advertising itself? Advertising agencies. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't like the politics of that. The better I did, the more letters that were written to the board about how well I was doing, the more I was demoted. Uh, and so I really didn't like oh. that very much. Yes. Uh, so I went, you know, with my independent streak, I went, I'll sub that. And I left and I didn't have a job to go to and I had a mortgage to pay and whatever. I got a lodger in to try and help me. Um, and uh, yeah, then uh, got recruited into a company to to be the MD there and then we did some management buyout which was good and before I knew it we were working for people across the across the world I was doing focus groups on Jamaican beaches which was probably the highlight of my career absolutely I don't care (laughs) anybody who's met so and so and done so I've done focus groups with Jamaicans on Jamaican beaches so there you go um and it was lovely uh and worked with some really smart people, learned so much from my clients, um, managed to, what should I say? I've, I'm tempted to say raise teams. That's very maternal, isn't it? Um, mm. But it, you know, it, it was that empower people who then, you know, went off to do wonderful things in their own lives, which was lovely and, 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 you know, enjoy the variety of people. Mm. And I came over here and did the same sort of stuff here and, then, you know, after a few years, I thought, you know, this is what I want to do. So this, I started doing this and helping women move forward. I'd seen, it's really interesting, you know, how when you're running a business, how the men put themselves forward and the women do far mm. less so. And even mm. when I've tried to promote the women, I've had as many knockbacks as I have had acceptances, whereas the men kind of bashing on the door going, when's my promotion? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so- even when you're trying to help, it's hard yeah. to do so. Yeah. So tell us what what's the thread then that that connected you? You've had experience working in advertising agencies, too political, didn't like it, got out. You were then MD and running uh, an organisation, you yeah. know, in a way that you thought was the right way to run it, and then moving into, I guess, focusing on uh, a part of that in a much more specific way. So. What's your magic in all of that? And what's the thing that, that I guess, has been the real thread through those experiences? Understanding people. Yeah. Um, and a desire to. Yeah. yeah, a desire to, a fascination with a, com- a compulsion to find points of empathy, I think. Mm. Yeah. You know, I... I I need to understand 
what's happening with people. And it's as a, it's the same thing that my childhood friends commented on. I know this sounds really silly, but it did actually happen. Um, I, I just love to find the centre of people and sit with it and help them go where they're going. And I think, you know, I've always wanted to do that. And the fact that my two loves, business and psychology, come together here, you know, it was always bound. I could make this about life coaching. Um, And surely it touches on it from time to time. But it's never going to fascinate me as much as business coaching, that, that relationship between you as an individual and what work can do for you. It doesn't have to. You can do it in any other way. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. But, you Mm. know, it gives you those challenges. It gives you that learning. Um, It helps you expand. It helps you grow and, you know, can give you that sense of satisfaction. Obviously, I know there'll be loads of people listening going, yeah, work doesn't have to do that. I just want to go and get paid and go home. Fine. Super duper. But if you do want to take it, it's the most wonderful vehicle for growth. Mm. Mm. And for me, that's what it's about. I'm not personally particularly interested in um, climbing ladders. For me, life's a journey. Um, and it's a, I'd rather count whether you're successful and how many happy days you had in your life than where you got to. Uh, so, it, it, yeah, it, to me, it's more about, so, okay, so there's a mountain. Some people go, okay, so we need to climb this mountain and then we're a success. I go, well, look, it's a mountain. Let's go see what grows on it. Let's see if there are any animals on it. Or are there any caves? Let's go and have a look. You know, whether you get to the top, you don't get to the top. It doesn't mm. really matter. How do you win at a journey? You don't. You either take it or you don't. Yeah. That's how. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so how does that kind of affect the way you coach? So let's talk about if that brings us up to the present time and the work that you're doing, particularly focusing on uh, coaching women. Um, yeah. yeah. How, how does, I mean, and we are really trained inculcated in this idea of the ladder um which is outdated but still nonetheless a very strong potent sort of message about what you're supposed to aspire to um how do you help people rearrange their relationship with that apart from getting them to look at what's growing on the mountain what's the yeah well, absolutely work with people yeah this is an amazing coincidence. You should ask me this just an hour after I've had this very conversation with a client who said, you know, and she's a lawyer. I work quite a bit with lawyers and they're very interesting because they, they, well, for various reasons, of course, they're very interesting and very smart, mm. of course. Mm. Um, mm. But they very have quite a structured view of life as well as work. Um, and they can find themselves dissatisfied and not really know why. And, and it is often because they're not actually living their own journey. They're living a journey somebody else set and they're not even aware that they've done that. So the client to me today said just about an hour ago, she said, um, so how do I know where I'm supposed to be? Should I have got further than this? You know, where am I supposed to be at this age? How will I know that? And I said, Let, let's stop for a minute and just examine this supposed to. Mm. And let's take this supposed to away and just put it to one side and say, what do you want to do with your years? What do you want to do? If you want to be exactly where you are now for the rest of your life, it's absolutely great. If that's what you want to do, that's what you should do. That's the only shoulds you should accept. It's shoulds that come from you. 
Mm. It's the idea that you have a choice, a conscious choice. And I know that many of us feel we don't, and many women don't feel they don't. They feel that society imposes an awful lot on them. Without a doubt, it does. But we still have some choices. And I'd like to encourage women to consider that. They're not put in this place by society. They've accepted that they are in this place in society. And I know that you can't change it, but you can make some differences for yourself if you want to. And mm. maybe you don't want to. And that's absolutely fine. You also shouldn't fit, shouldn't feel <laughs> a compulsion to strive to do something that is not going to bring you joy. Mm. You know, I say to people, it's like you've been given a certain, you know, we've been given a certain number of years. Of course, we don't know how many they are. But even if you assume, right. you know, we'll live to whatever, 80 to whatever it happens to be now. Um, we've got that number of years, it's like being given a certain amount of money. We wouldn't allow people to tell us how to spend it. You've got this. What would you like to do? You're born. You're given this thing. What would you like to do? And one of the things that we discussed earlier today, this this lady and I, is what would she tell her daughter? Mm. And what would she tell her friend? Would she tell her friend you should be here or you should not be there or should be there? Would she tell her daughter that there are some shoulds that you have to benchmarks, you have to reach at certain points? Um, and and she, you know, it, it sort of dawned on her, and I could see it dawning on her that actually mm. this was a choice. This wasn't a, a you know a path. I see it as like a big field, like an enormous field, right? And we're put on this field or at the side of the field. And actually, there are no rules about this field at all. But humankind has decided, or society, however you like to think about it, that there are certain paths we want to walk along this. And then we all follow each other. We make up the rules. We say, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. we have to go this path across this park um, because it's about somebody, oh, I agree, but I can walk it faster than you. Now, those of us who are free are just dancing all over the park. We're not ahead of each other on a path and saying one path better than another. We are interacting with the paths as we want to. Maybe we're going along one for one for another. But by and large, we're playing in the park. And mm. I think play is a huge way to think about this, mm. about yeah. life in general. Yeah. Um, I- it's certainly an interesting one for, you know, executives, <laughs> people who are focused on their career in some way, shape or form. And I think high achievers, and I know you do some work around perfectionism um, and those sorts of things seem to come with particular, you know, shoulds and, um, yeah, comparisons and a, a degree of competitiveness that's not always helpful. But I would say, Sarah, some of those tracks on the field kind of you know it's like goat tracks or paths that people keep following and so what happens is that there is a noticeable verifiable track there and so it seems like oh well if there's a track there that's the way to go so what do you do about helping people kind of apart from the play thing what what else can you do to help people Think about those paths in different ways. Well, some of the work I do is some of the work I do is about helping people step up. Other people, other work I do is helping people step out if they want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, one of the ways first is 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 to to shine the light on that there is a choice. 
Yeah. And, and that's that's the first thing is that you have a choice to be on this path. If you'd like to be on this path, it's great. Go on the path. If you want to strive to be at the front of the queue of the people on this path, great. Do that. So mm. it's about conscious living. So the first thing is, is that conscious choice? Is it uh, really the path for you? Is it giving you joy? Do you want to do that? Um and I, I think that that is the first thing. And, and one of the things I do, I particularly work actually with women in their 50s. Um, and it's quite interesting because they, they have come to know some things about themselves. And also there are some things that they haven't discovered, but when they actually look at it, they discover. And by the work we do, we discover whether people actually want to be on that path or mm. not. And if they do, how do they enjoy their time on it more, get more satisfaction? If they don't, they don't. I suppose what I bring to all of this, I, I, you know, I, I cannot put my hand up and say I have spent years in a corporate environment. I haven't. I'm mm. a serial entrepreneur, so I've built businesses. And there is something about that mindset which I think is more playful. Yeah. Um, because it has to be you because you have mm. to try new things uh you mm. know working for yourself you try this you work to try that doesn't work you forget it do something else you know you have to have that mindset you can't be um too linear um mm. but i suppose what i bring to corporate women is the perspective that you could go off the path and come back on it or you could you have more choices than you think you are you're not bound yeah in the way you have more freedom than you think you are more empowered than you think not mm. just in a linear way mm. um there are you know ways to be that are different there are ways to think that are different um and there are processes you can go to to that are different from from just plodding along um, mm. yeah. i don't know if that answers your question really Karen. yeah i think it does i mean i i would say as as i'm listening to you i'm thinking you know psychological flexibility that's that's the thing. I mean, we can make the same choice having reviewed it endlessly. Um, but if there's some flexibility about, I understand there's a choice here. I know what some options are and there are options and this is the choice I make. You know, um, I think, you know, that's very different than blindly or, or helplessly feeling that I must make. A particular choice because the system says so Absolutely. or that's the one that's on the playing field and Absolutely. i think that makes all the difference to Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. yeah all sorts of things yeah <laughs> so let's talk about you know women and you say you know often you know women don't put themselves forward that was the the research that kicked around uh, still is kicking around i think that uh McKinsey's made a bit famous in one of their uh, women's reports, you know, women have to be at least 100% certain that they're going to make it before they'll put themselves forward. And men think, oh, I'm 60% there, Who who's going to worry about the 40%? So I'll have a go at that. What are you doing about that in the work that you're doing? Okay. So the first thing to say is that we see this through every part of business right down to zoom calls for example you know women feeling given statistics around women feeling uh much less confident on the zoom calls not able to get a word in edgeways the fact that you know men are getting more of the conversation the, the fact that i get so many women saying i don't know what to do with those interruptions when i'm interrupted um uh, so you know you have all of those sorts of things and I yeah. think 
one of the things that happens for women, particularly for high achieving women who've always been high achieving. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of those, I'm thinking of the head girls at the grammar schools, you know, and this is as I was growing up. So it's a different world, I suppose, but um, you know, and they did all their homework on time. It was always neat. And, you know, they wrote, they did everything perfect and they got A's and if they got B pluses, they weren't very happy. And, you know, they, they were good girls. Mm. And there is this whole good girl thing, but the good girl thing only takes you so far in business. And I think it takes you just about as far as head of department. And one of the things I'm working on with women at the moment is how to get them to GM because I think the rules are different. I think it's a different yeah. step. Yeah. And you have to look around to say, okay, what is driving decision-making in the business? And do I want to and can I do any of those things that 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 will put me in the reckoning for those positions? But doing your job really well is nowhere near enough. I was talking mm. with um, the head of HR at the Combank, and she said that was one of the lessons she learned um, uh, years ago. Uh, she said that she was pulled aside once and said, look, um, you're doing a really good job, but we have to tell you, if you're thinking of moving forward from where you are now, you really are going to have to start to build relationships outside of where you're, you know, where you're operating now, not just hoping that your work will speak for itself. And mm. she said that was the biggest thing that she would tell women right now is that mm. you need to start networking or talk. I hate that word. Isn't it a horrible word? Um, yep. Forming relationships, being useful with talking to discussing ideas with people above you rather than just in your teams. I think there is that a bit of a mother hen thing that happens sometimes. I'm sorry if that sounds sexist. I've seen it. I'm looking, you know, I'm talking from experience about how people talk about their teams and also mm -hmm. how small business owners talk, women's business owners talk about their teams. They want to protect them. You know, they want to sort out problems for them. They want to look downwards and be very caring. If you're going to move up, you need to start to looking up and out and building those mm. relationships. Mm. So, you know, it's a it's a it's a, a really important. You don't have to be singing your praises, but the world needs to know what it is you have actually achieved. And, you know, you need to be able to do that. You need to be able to hold your own in a meeting in a way that you need to be able to physically hold yourself in a meeting. You know, there are people who, um, and definitely women that I work with, who've said, "Look, I, you know, I, they pay plenty of attention to me when I'm presenting, but when I'm not presenting, I'm kind of invisible, really." And then I go, "Okay, so how are you sitting? What do you do when you walk into the room? Do you go to the people, senior people in the room, and greet them and say hello and look them in the face?" Oh no, I don't do that. You could do that, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the behavior? So I'm dealing with it on a behavioral level. So what is the behavior that needs to happen? Can you mimic that behavior? Well, you don't have to be like a man and do any man spreading or any of that stuff. But you can do more assertive things that show that you have confidence and conviction in yourself. Yeah. Um, so for me, women undersell themselves. I mean, the statistics say that they actually overperform in terms of their reviews, but they're underpromoted. Yep, and, and underrewarded. Yeah, and underrewarded. So basically, mm. they're just misunderstanding the rules of the game. And the question yeah. is, if you want to do that, you need to understand what those rules are and play by them. So how come men know what the rules are and how come men don't have to be good boys and get everything right and get A's and work hard as well as do you know, the office housework, 
why does it still not apply for them? Why are there such different standards? Oh, look, one is, I think, because they made the rules. Um, That's kind of the first one. But the second one is I actually think psychologically there are certain things that we are hardwired for that you and I have kind of talked about before, which is, you know, mental availability, for example, Um, And I know this is highly controversial, but I'll stand by it. Um, And that is that, you know, if the men are in the office and the women are working from home, then the men are going to get the opportunities, which are going to look great on their CVs when they get to promotion. So even if the Mm. promotion process is completely and utterly fair and very objective, the men's CVs are going to look better because they are meant, they are available they're around when somebody has something to give somebody to do. That's just mm-hmm. a natural thing. So they're around, they're in people's faces. You know, the answer may well be testosterone. And I'm not talking about being strong and bullish. I'm just talking about there might be something that drives that, which causes them to loom larger in our minds than women do. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be as simple as that. And I know, as you've often said, is what can we do to work to see if we can try to fight against that to give women a fair go and I think that's splendid but I also think what can women do not to be like them but to know how to make an impact at core times and be there at the right time I think that that is important. So let's talk a bit more um, about that and you know there's the potential for flexible work to play against women but there's also if women are going to show up and there are you know, biases around how they can show up and how they do, what, you know, what what can they do? What's their or what's our part of the responsibility for making change? Well, I think that's really interesting. One thing, first of all, is is is, is take charge of your own decision-making and your own self. You know, mm. the first step one is is quite in, in turn, which says, you know, are you, are you, uh, committed to yourself? Are you convicted of your own? Are you are you con- convinced of your own potential? If you're not, that's work you need to do on yourself. I understand that that is not your fault, but that doesn't mean that you can't do something to help yourself if you choose. Yeah. Um, the 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 second one is probably is definitely more controversial. Um, you know, I've said I've had people say, "Well, look, how can women compete uh, at forming relationships when they have to go home to their children and the men can stay and go for a drink?" Mm-hmm. And my answer to that, and I know it's not very nice to hear, is you and your partner. Let's say I don't forget I. I brought up Charles single-handed, so I'm not assuming that there's a partner, but if there is, um, you and your partner have either consciously or subconsciously decided how to raise these Charles and who's how you're going to help each other with your careers. If you guys have decided that you will go home for the children and, and he or she will go and uh, go to the networking event, then that's a decision you've made. Mm. And I don't actually think that it is the, I think this company's responsibility to do an awful lot, but I don't think that because that's a decision that has happened in the domestic environment. Mm. And if you don't want to go home to do the children and you want to do the networking, then that's a conversation that two grown up people should be able to have. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult conversation. It brings up all sorts of worms. But it's still a conversation that I don't think you can expect somebody outside your your relationship to solve for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm and so think- aware this is unpopular, but um, but I, that's where I've ended netted out actually. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that makes a whole lot of sense because we keep we might talk about gender balance these days, and instead of talking about um, women, and and I think that that language is really helpful because we can't just focus on what women do. Certainly, I agree with you. There are a number of things we can do to help women just get a different relationship with what's going on so that they can show up and be more powerful and think differently, which doesn't mean that they have to think like men. But men have got to do some thinking too, and there's just no, well, very little. There's much less emphasis on what men need to do to change. And, And we can't just separate the work out from life because they all do go together and you end up you're making choices about who takes what role who spends how much time with you know family members who takes responsibility for all of that and I think a lot of that still hasn't changed even for dual career couples I agree as you say I completely agree but who is on the front line to help I understand completely look I know I, I you know I could go on a long time about you know, what, what what I'd like to see changing in men. And it's quite profound. Uh, the question is, you know, how do you do it? Is anyone like me going to be able to affect that change? And I think the yep. answer is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, I think men need to make that change. We need men champions to do that. I don't actually think women are going to have much effect at all. If anybody does, it's going to be their partners yeah. on a granular level. Mm. Being actually, I am not going to do one hours a day more housework than you, or more homework house work in the home than yeah. you do, which is current statistics. Mm. I'm not actually going to do more work at home, uh, uh, proportional to the amount of time that I work, which has also been a statistic. In that, the mm. more hours a woman works outside the home, the more hours she works inside the home, which is just shocking. Yeah. <laughs> it's, to be honest, it's, it's diabolical. Yeah, I think it's wrong, but I think it shows a sickness in the relationship, a sickness in both parties, a sickness in society. You know, how can that possibly be? That's bonkers. Mm. Um, Mm. But, yeah, so I think that individual conversations is is incredibly important, but I think it's very interesting that women think that's a very dangerous conversation to have. What does Mm. that tell us, that women are not having those conversations as much as they might? You know, I know a number of women who wouldn't dream of having that conversation because of what might come up. And I think, gosh, so that is your relationship, is it? And I mean, I'm not preaching. I'm going, yeah. look at where we are. Look at where we are. Yeah. Um, I, and I think do? that that's the damned if you do, doomed if you don't mm. dilemma that I think does exist. Um, that, that certainly we see a lot of that at work. Should I put my hand up? I put my hand up, I'm seen as aggressive, I'm pushing forward and I shouldn't yes. be there and I'm not meant to be there. Yes. But if I sit back and wait... I'm doomed. Good girl. Never get anywhere. Um, yeah. So, and I think that plays out as much um, mm, at, at home as well. Yeah. I agree. And, but I think, and, 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 but I think it's interesting that, you know, that conversation brings about fear, uh, fear of rejection, uh, fear of aggression, fear of 
confirmation that indeed their careers and their growth is not as important. important. Um, all sorts of all sorts of fear um, in there. Uh, and I, I, before I started this work, I don't think I would have guessed that mm. that's what yeah. the block is for yeah. some people. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with you. And I think if we think about now we are here in 2022 and you think that these things still play out so strongly um, that I wouldn't have predicted either. No. So we, we've talked somewhat about what women can do and there's absolutely an important role. We're perhaps not going to talk about what men can do, but, but hopefully there are more and more men who are prepared to think about the system and the role they play in the system and what they can do to shift the system because that's pretty fundamental to making real change and helping it stick. But organisations, what can they do, Sarah? What are, what are three things that organisations ought to be able to do that's not about lip service, that's actually real um, in order to support? And this is how I see it. It's about supporting real talent to rise or, or to be allowed to rise um, in organisations? I'd like to see all organisations have a, a, a an ongoing top-to-tail, if you like, career path for women in which they support women. Um, I'd, I'd like it. I, I understand that it might seem like it's, you know, favoritism, or but I, I, I just think you have to look at statistics. You have to look at how many people you lose when it's time mm -hmm. for women have children, um, and whether and you look at the statistics of what women bring to business from a financial point of view. You just look in the bottom line. Statistics say that the women will add to it. So. Yeah. You know, everything tells us that it is a resource worth investing in and that therefore they work with women to find out obviously what works best, but also to tailor those programs from top to tail, from one end to well, bottom top of the organisation. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd also like to see, read some research about how probably one of the most powerful things you can do uh, for women at a, a mid to senior level is to um, those those who most like to succeed a part of a small female cohort network where they mm. are sharing problems, sharing solutions, sharing opportunities. And I think there's an opportunity for organisations to do that. I can see how politically that might be difficult and might need to be, we need to think about how that could be achieved without setting off alarm bells about, you know, secret women's business and all sorts of stuff that could go on and organise and see all that happening. But nonetheless, if we are to empower women, and that's the basis of what I want to do is empower women in business, then those sorts of things need to be facilitated. And yeah. we need to find out how we can do those things um, mm. and support them. I think there's, you know, there's work. Not all women have have issues around stepping outside their comfort zone. Not not all women at all. In fact, some women stomp around outside there and tread on everybody else. Um, but you know, for those who who do have that problem and that idea that they are inherently small and must stay so. We need to work with them to expand. Otherwise, how are we yeah. going to get our senior female leadership if we don't yeah. encourage women to step outside of their comfort zones? 
Um, so there's training and coaching that, that can help in organisations that's not being done because it's not being done for men. And I think women have different challenges. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Indeed. Um, and uh, on a, a final note, um, I'm interested, how does one maintain the focus on this area? It's not, you know, there are swings and roundabouts. We seem to make some progress towards changing organisations and, and enabling, empowering women to, to hold more senior roles and to be using their talent more fully. Um, you know, but there are knocks and setbacks from time to time. How does one maintain one's energy and commitment um, in this era? That is a very good question. And I would be lying if I said... I want to know the answer, Sarah. <laughs> I'd rather talk around the question, Karen. That <laughs> uh, there are, without a doubt, there is there are times when I go, I don't know why we're bothering. Um because this is this this, this ain't going to happen, you know. The yeah. boardroom door is only on the inside, and the men are on the inside. They will let you in. They're not going to. Um, and yeah, there is that. So, how do you stay? You stay because I think I stay. I tell you why. How I can stay. How I stay focused on it, um, and that's on an individual basis. And that mm-hmm. goes back to the joy of work if it does indeed give you joy but for those of us that it gives joy and challenge and growth is worth fighting for Mm. and it's always possible to take that person up to that next level or to that next place wherever happens to be on the mountains have to be up Um, it's always possible to help them to get there do I think you know the time is coming soon when you know women and men will work hand in hand at the top of companies definitely not in my lifetime and probably not in my child's either to be perfectly honest uh you know i i from a evolutionary perspective i think it's very hard to work out you know why that would actually even happen but i definitely we can we are moving forward it is very very slow and frankly there have been times i've been extremely disappointed because i you know i'm of the age where we went all through this in the 70s and 80s you know, and then to have people rediscovering this and saying, oh, well, years ago, we weren't able to do blah and blah. I was thinking, well, I was doing it. How did we move backwards? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have moved backwards. Um, but moving forward again, I believe in quotas. I'm a quota girl. Um, I think that's the way you get the numbers at the tops of the companies. Um, I don't believe that men are inherently better qualified than women. I believe that we need to change the way we think about what leadership is, and therefore that will will help in every way. And statistics show that that will help the business financially too. Um, and then that shows it gives you path. It puts women on the inside of the door. They can open the door for other women. That's another thing we need to be more conscious of that. Yeah. So yeah. terrific. Yeah. Thank you. That's. I mean, for those of us who've been working in this area for a long time, I think. Um, that well well we should get medals but um <laughs> apart from that it's always helpful i think to understand what is it that, that keeps the commitment going and there's enough um reward at the individual level and sometimes the reward at the bigger social organizational level to to keep the momentum and motivation going it's been absolutely delightful speaking with you i really appreciate your time sarah we've talked about some uh, issues that are you know, significant and important, and I hope that for the people listening, there have been some ideas they can take away either for themselves personally 
or perhaps for their organisation and having a rethink about what they're doing in terms of, you know, how to get the best talent in the right places in the organisation to make those organisations hum. So thank you. Karen, thank you so much. A great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a privilege and on to be on your fabulous podcast. Um, Thank you very much indeed. Uh, And see you again soon. Yeah, great. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye.